0: Welcome to the 30 Years of Play podcast once again with your host, George Osborne. We are going and looking at some of the most influential British games of all time and we're finding out the stories behind them, but more importantly, the stories behind the people who made them as well. Now, this episode we're not going to just be taking a look at the making of, or at least the story behind, one classic British video game. There's actually two rolled into this one. Mike Daly, who many of you will know as one of the leading figures at DMA Design, didn't just speak to me at play expo in manchester about lemmings which was the game that i was intending to speak to him about he also gave me a bit of a breakdown about the making of the original grand theft auto as well and so this is a a fascinating episode because mike's career almost entirely perfectly overlaps with the period of time with which the 30 years of play campaign is matching so we don't just get to hear a little bit about the story behind those games we also get to hear the story of how he's been in the industry how he got into it how he actually started out making games before our campaign begins and we get to hear some of his thoughts about where the industry has gone in the time that he's been in it but rather than listen to me whitter on about all of this stuff i think the most obvious and the best thing that we can possibly do right now is throw straight over to this interview with mike and dive straight into him talking about everything that he has worked on.
1: Uh, my name is Mike Daly. Um, I am currently at uh, YoYo Games, which is my own company, mm-hmm. and I've been in gaming for, uh, doing game programming for 30 years in August, I think it is. Um, and I'm best known for Lemmings and Grand Theft Auto. Okay, so
0: 1989, that was when your career (laughs) started out roughly speaking. How did you get started? Um, Got started
1: by, let's see, uh, I met a whole lot of folk at a computer club Mm -hmm. in Dundee, probably about 85. So that was Dave Jones, Russell Kane, Steve Hammond and we all, I mean it's a typical 80s club where folk would go along and copy games, uh, we were more interested in making games. Sure. So we'd just show each other what we'd been doing um, and then it kind of grew from that um, and we'd all just kind of make little games together and then Dave Jones um, moved from the Spectrum onto to his Amiga that he bought with his redundancy money and started making a game and actually managed to finish one um, and sold it to Psygnosis. So, and then with that money, he opened an office and then employed me.
0: And that is the start, roughly-ish, of DMA. Is that? Yeah,
1: it? yeah. That and was in eighty-nine, August eighty-nine. The office opened. Cool. Although I did start. Probably would be three months or so before that. Um, we were at Russell Case House and started doing. A port of uh, ballistics from the ST
0: to the Common 64. That's it, Russell K's house. It yeah. sounds, sounds sounds a lot like sort of, In his bedroom. Exactly, sounds a lot very like a, It is a literal bedroom code, code, was, code yes. conversation. I, I mean, what was the. I mean, I think you alluded to it slightly there, but what was the <clears throat> industry like in the mid to late
1: 80s? Oh, yeah, I mean, very much a bedroom code, literally a bedroom coder yep. kind of uh, thing. Having an office um, really kind of just. Even though I hadn't done anything, it was like made you feel like a big professional company because nobody be really did. Yeah. Um it was only really the publishers and stuff that did. So getting a job in the in the games industry was just kinda a dream. Um I'd just been kicked out of college um the previous Christmas. Yep. So I was being kind of forced by my my mother to go and look for jobs and like B and Q equivalents and all that kind of stuff. So yep. I was kinda rescued um <laughs> by Dave to kinda go and work on this stuff. So um, yeah, it was just kind of a dream.
0: It was it was a dream. Um, and what about Dundee as well at the time? Because I mean, one of the <laughs> things. Um, I mean, obviously it's now Abertay, but yeah. you know, it was the Dundee. It was the Institute of Computing. I think uh,
1: it were. was. Uh, what was it? The tech. Or wasn't Tech? Oh, I can't
0: remember what it was called. now. Was, uh, but in terms of the Dundee thing, I mean, in a sense, it was it was quite progressive at the time because they they sort of anticipated.
1: It's well not at that point, there was nothing really at that point, I mean, yeah. when I was, uh, one of the reasons I got kicked out of college is because the only computer courses there were like HNDs and stuff yeah. and they were all about sysadmin stuff yeah. so they didn't, didn't really know um, anything about game stuff. <laughs> well, into darkness. A, little, a little bit, a little <laughs> bit, <laughs> bit of lights um, out. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was really just like any other place at that time. When Dave dropped out of uni to do games, his lecturers thought he was mad. Yeah. Um. So it was only a few years later, after Lemmings, yeah, when they saw the kind of money coming in with it, they they kind of triggered and, and. Thought, oh, okay there's something then yeah um,
0: I mean if it, ma- if it makes you feel any better I interviewed the creators of Overcooked and when they told their university lecturers that they were giving up after doing their maths degrees to go off and become game developers <laughs> they said you're not going to make any money from it and it's like <laughs> yeah it was, was only like five years ago I am mean, not even five years ago three years yeah. ago um so you're in this office DMA started yeah do you want to talk me through <coughs> how it was up until the point where sort of the idea for Lemmings well that was, only, that was within the first month that was in the first month so, so it, was <laughs> it wasn't very long it, it, you know four weeks you know so, it's a long time but. yeah I
1: mean when we started The Office Dave was finishing off his second game uh, which was Blood Money yeah. and there was a character in that the big walker yeah. that's the two feet rat from Star Wars yeah. um, and he really liked that because the guy that was doing the art, Tony Smith uh, he'd done a really nice job of this. It was a huge sprite for its time, yeah. really nicely animated, and Dave thought we could do a game with this. Yeah. So we hired a guy called Scott Johnson to come in and, and do backgrounds and guys to shoot and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So he decided that he was going to draw little guys at 16 by 16 pixels, which would have brought it up to about, you know, the, these chin, basically. So it would have made the walkers look a lot smaller. Yeah. So we had this argument where I said, no, that's wrong, you know, this should be smaller, all that kind of stuff. So really, within the first... Like a couple of weeks yep. of having an office, um, I set about doing this kind of lemmings animation, yep. and then Russell Kay at the end of no start of September um, did the first lemmings demo. That's yep. um, on my website. You can kind of go and see, it. and it's just the guys kind of drop and then walk, circle around the, the level and walk over the the world, because yep. um, he had this idea of how to do it. And so I mean, within the first month, we had this demo and thought, there's definitely a game in this one. But it took basically another year before um, folk, not really, six months before somebody else had time to do it. I got, I started doing a demo of it on the Commodore 64, but then I got put on to do Shadow of the Beast on the PC Engine. Um, and then Dave decided to drop, but he was doing Gore it was a big hack and slash game, yeah. uh, but the mega didn't have enough memory for it at the time. So he dropped that and then decided to take Lemmings on. Um, so like I say, within the first six months, it was really kind of up and going at that point. Up and going. Uh, and, yeah.
0: and so in, in terms of also sort of then that next stage, so you, you've got this idea, you've got this concept, you know you've got something mm. and you've started working on it. Talk me through the process of taking that from idea through to release.
1: Uh, well, Gary and Dave, Gary Timmons and Dave Jones, they, Gary took over all the animation stuff. Um, he came in a month after me. Uh, he basically took the walker guy that uh, Tony Smith had done and just using points, he kind of did all the, the movement of things so you can kind of see what was going on. So Dave quite liked that and thought that Gary could kind of have a go at doing animation. So he brought him in. So him and Gary really got the basic skills together yeah. for it. And then there was just this world to play in and Dave did an editor that was built into the game so you can just kind of drop in and out of it sure. um, and that that was kind of key in terms of getting levels that were pixel perfect because it's, it's in in those days where you did an editor it tended to be a separate program sure. you kind of do something save it you put it in your assemble you could check it come back it was quite a long cycle to do that stuff yeah. um, and to do that kind of thing the learnings would have been a nightmare so having the thing built in was was great um, and then he gave it to everybody to just go and make levels and we just um, basically played the game made our own levels played everybody else's levels and just tried to beat each other um, and make the hardest levels yeah. um, by the end of it I maybe mean, we were all kind of masters at it yeah. you couldn't beat us with anything so there were three of us Gary, myself and Scott Johnson yeah. did the kind of bulk of levels sure. um, Dave got a couple in I think but he kept trying to give us levels and go oh, right beat this one and go oh you just yeah. do that and you get in the half and then walk away <laughs> and oh okay I'll fix that and try this then. no you just do that and, oh, okay. and then Steve Hammond did a few but not, I don't think any of them got in <laughs> um, so I mean the three of us did the bulk and then Gary was the one that really got that difficulty curve sure. just right um, and then did all the intro levels and stuff to you know get it going through um, then I, I did all the special levels um, which was tricky because it was, you couldn't use any traps in them because yeah. of the colour schemes. Yes. The palettes didn't match up. So you just had to kind of figure a way of working across them. So they looked very pretty, but they, they played a bit boring. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, we, bi- we basically ended up with this um, game that we had the initial world to go and play in, and then we had a few months of making the levels and trying them out, and we'd send them down to Psygnosis they test them, they send back with little comments on them. Sure. Or, you know, it took five minutes to make and this one was quite nice and stuff. And occasionally we'd be able to fox them with something but there be scribbles all over the page But you know, it took an hour and a half to figure out and swearing us and that's what you're aiming for basically. Yeah. Um so this kind of back and forward uh really got us to that point where you had this very nice introduction and then working through till the last two kind of, you know, taxing and mayhem were just really hard levels. Yeah. Um and then it just kind of got it obviously did the demo disc that went out and when you're doing games you've, you've never had any idea how a game's going to be received yeah um i think the first time that dave went down to diagnosis, he took a demo disc down to show them yeah and he said that he gave it to you know or, or somebody or uh, john white and uh, they're playing and all people go out for lunch and then when he came back it was on every machine in the office <laughs> So at that point you can go, "Mm, there's maybe something here. But once it launched and just took off, yeah, not a clue that I was going to do that because you never do. No, Um,
0: uh, that's fair enough. So so talk me about, talk me through that launch experience. So, you
1: know. We were kind of insulated from it. It was really Dave that kind of got the feedback. He didn't really tell us much until years later. (laughs) So uh, it was really the reviews that we kind of saw because they were very public obviously in the magazines. and they were great I mean you know you're getting nice high marks and then you're getting the occasional 100% it was just nuts because you just didn't get that yeah so I mean we were all just strutting about thinking thing that would and be great like this it's <laughs> fun um but and, and just enjoying it because it was just I mean, the first two games Blood Money and Menace were well received um and you know we'd done ports and stuff ourselves and they, they went okay but to get something that was so big um, all of a sudden you've been kind, of kind of darling in the magazines and they're up taking photos and stuff. And yep. um, I went very camera shy at that point because Dave insisted on doing really stupid pictures. <laughs> um, we, we'd grown up with kind of the Bitmap brothers doing all these kind of dark rooms wearing shades and looking very cool. Yep. And Dave's got us lying on a hill somewhere looking up and I've been able to see and getting pictures and it's just it was embarrassing. So I, I went very camera shy. So whenever there was photographers up, I just hid, yep. basically. So for lots, most of the 90s, I wasn't anywhere. Um, which is funny. Uh, but it was just, I mean, it was, it was just kind of that kind of you know, ride with it all. It just, it was great. And then after the first kind of year coming up to Christmas, we did that Christmas demo yeah. with them all um little Christmas um, outfits um, just to kind of remind everybody about that it was still kind of going. It was obviously getting bundled, so it was still very much in the forefront. But then Signals is obviously like, oh, Christmas, they're quite good. Let's, let's do holiday lemmings out of that. Okay, well, okay there you go. Um, and then we just started trimming our level discs and stuff then to Lemmings too. just for years that was just the kind of main focus of what we were doing
0: yeah I mean how was it being so solely focused on Lemmings for all of those years was 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 it fun to do or were there times yeah
1: no we, we I mean you can see now I've still got a soft spot for Lemmings I think it's the great characters uh, the mechanics were really nice um, and it was just I mean even right at the start it was fun to kill them that was the whole point of it yeah. And that didn't go away, you know, just thought of new, weird and macky ways to do it. It was always good fun. Uh, Lemmings 2 um, had much better tech than the original, because the original was very brute force, just loads of memory and stuff, which meant on console it really struggled. Uh, Lemmings 2 was much better and thought about console. So it had much better tech and the different orientations of levels, like vertical ones and stuff, uh, that made a big difference as well to the actual design. Uh, the number of skills I think was a mistake, There's yeah. was way too many, we ended up putting skills into levels just because they hadn't been used, sure. so you know we should have maybe doubled the skills or something but that was about it, um, but we still just enjoyed doing it, it was great fun, uh, yeah. we all kind of loved the character, I think by the time we got to Limings 3, because they were big characters and that was um, Children's Television Workshop had approached us to do Maybe put it on Sesame Street because yeah. counting. Yeah. Um, and they've got all excited about that getting on Sesame Street, so we made the characters bigger for them, and that kind of spoiled a lot of the feel of it. Yeah. And then they didn't use it basically, so it was kind of a, of a meh. It's not really as good now. And it was really to round off the contract with Psygnosis, I believe we was a contract of six games yeah. with Psygnosis, and that was the last one. So it was just, okay, we'll just do that, and then we can kind of move on again.
0: And we go so, on. And yeah. I, I mean, so, as well, I mean, so in terms of Lemmings and its impact on <coughs> the studio, in terms of going forth into the future, mm-hmm. so obviously, you know, Lemmings and Grand Theft Auto, those are the things that you're known for. Do we get to a point where you think GTA would, would have been made without Lemmings? <coughs> yeah, it's totally different. I didn't have any impact on it. <laughs> not even financial? Not even...
1: Um, no, because it was funded by B&G really, so, I mean, GTA came about because I was just playing, I got to go, after I'd done um, Lemmings 2, yeah. um, I, would, I got to sit in the corner and just do prototypes and ideas and come up with stuff. So either Dave would give me an idea to go and, you know, want to try this, go and knock a demo yeah. up, or I'd think of tech that I'd just want to play with. Yeah. Um, and I came up with the two prototypes that spawned GTA, sure. nothing to do with Lemming stuff. But So, once I had this, I kind of showed him, and he decided, okay, we'll put somebody on it to actually do that. And then they kind of pitched that as part of the bundle to BMG, who then plowed loads of money into DMA to to kind of fund it. Um, I think they funded six games or something, it wasn't that many. There's a few of them, but a few of them, they were kind of fudged along, there was no actual team on them. Yeah. It was a bit of a downward spiral for that point. But the um, the GTA one, I mean, I believe with BMG it was a bit of a fight to keep it alive. Yeah. Um, But it wasn't really the Lemmings money that did it. Lemmings got the company established to the point where they would pay attention to you. Yeah. Um, (coughs) But, I mean, none of that was self financed. Sure.
0: And so it was more reputational, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's that's really interesting. and then in terms of GTA as well and going in and working on it I mean obviously you know it's <coughs> obviously, that's one of the first sort of open world-y kind of experiences well yeah but it's so not funny no I
1: mean I would have said Lemmings would have been to be honest yeah. in fact even beyond that I mean Portless did, to some yes. extent it is as well because Portless was a heavy influence to Lemmings, Yeah. Um, in terms of control and the two player stuff I mean we used to play Portless all the time with the two Amigas hooked up with our mod theater so I think they're all kind of evolutions of each other Lemmings definitely had more of a um, just here's the tools and here's the world, figure it out yeah. which is kind of what GTA is Yes. Um, and I think that certainly influenced GTA in terms of we really like that, just give them tools and off you go yeah. and Dave got kind of hooked on that I think that's what drove um, GTA's open worldness yeah. um, but the actual game mechanics and everything that came about um, I think was very much just a team driven thing yeah, um, you know everybody on the team got their input. Um, yeah. It's probably one of the few design by committee games that's ever worked. Yeah, because normally you, you just don't want that many voices in it. No.
0: So, so why do you, why do you think that works?
1: <sighs> um, I suspect because most of the time, the stuff that was going in, the stuff that was going to be actual fun, there was very little kind of well what does this give to the game and you know what's what's the philosophy behind this it was just oh wouldn't this be cool
0: yeah.
1: um and you know thought would just laugh at it. And I've, if you said something like that and you're like yeah i would be dead smart you can't kind of go on because that's usually what the attitude of everybody else would be um so things like you know the initial thing of stealing cars was kind of there from day one i think yeah um but you know being able to steal uh police cars and um, have ambulances you know knock somebody over and an ambulance come and steal the ambulance stuff that was all stuff about that that be really cool if we could just do this yeah. um, and things like the Hare Krishnas and stuff as well they were all just weird things that were put in because we thought they'd be good fun
0: yeah.
1: um, and I think all these little touches just add to it I mean stealing the train was the point in that yeah. but it's, you know it's fun yeah. that's, that's the point in that so um, I think that's fine I think they the, the Bits that were designed in, things like the missions were obviously design part and yeah. the levels themselves. I think lots of kind of work went into that, particularly the missions they had. They went back and forward a lot with how to do them. Uh, Gary Penn, who was the BMG guy, eventually came to work for DMA. Yeah. Um, he did a lot of work on actual kind of mission stuff. But the fundamental game and what most people actually do in GTA is drive about and have fun, um, was there from day one, really. Yeah. As soon as you had the kind of buildings kind of parallax going because of the perspective on it and the cars driving, then you know you got the feel of it. Yeah. And that was the core of it. it, still is today. It's just, you know. Getting that car and driving
0: about just go and drive back yeah. and run over some pedestrians yeah. which is it's yeah. what I go, oh I like that, exactly. that oh, there they go Off yeah. they go. Um, yeah I mean so in terms of the parallax map so we, we got um, so we ran a hashtag my first games job we did this mm. sort of campaign and there was a lovely uh, picture of Paul Farley shared <laughs> of himself sat with the oh, yeah, and his yeah, PC yeah, yeah, yeah. there yeah. basically sort of work, working that all out so I mean but GTA obviously was enormous fun Yeah. it was also quite controversial though wasn't it
1: <sighs> not really it was it was done as a PR stunt. I mean, yeah. it was, uh, Max Clifford obviously designed the PR around it, but yeah. it wasn't really that controversial. I mean, you think Carmageddon was out, yeah, and it was controversial because it was first person, and you were flattening people onto the bonnet of your car. Yeah. These were just little pixely things. I mean, it was it was *Tom and Jerry*. We always pitched it as *Tom and Jerry* humour yeah. because it's a splodge of pixels. Yeah. yeah, it was being debated in Parliament in the House of Lords about this death simulator. Just. Nonsense, and that's all down to Max Clifford just generating this buzz because none of these MPs have seen it, nice. they just heard about it, and that was Max Clifford's thing all over. Yeah. According to Dave, he, um, he planned out to Dave everything that would happen, and Dave says it all happened, so it was all by design.
0: Wow, that's quite scary, isn't yeah. it? As well, that, that's quite scary. I mean, I, <laughs> there, I mean what, what was your impression as well of like so, so that there were these, these policymakers... Who are sitting in the laws, they're sitting ah, in the Commons ah, or whatever. And it's yeah. that you know, they're sort of saying we are apparently across all of these issues and you hear them talking about your game in yes, those kinds of ways. I mean what did that make you feel like? We were all
1: just laughing at it. It was just yeah. I mean to to kind of be brought up in the Isolarge was just hysterically funny because we knew they had no idea about the game. Yeah. They were just being politicians, just yeah. no, there's rabble rousing here. Let's let's jump on a bandwagon, and they hadn't a clue about it because we knew what the game was like. Yeah, um, it was basically an arcade game, and it was an 18. Yeah. So you know, you could say what you like, but you look at films, wasn't anything like that. Yeah. So there was nothing really that was in there. Kids were getting it because parents didn't understand it. Yeah. Even to this day, it's like parents go, like, "Oh, you want this game, Jimmy? On you go." It's like, well, no. There is an age rating for a reason. You know, you should kind of pay attention to that. Yeah. Um, but. It, it was one of the first adult games that weren't wasn't porn or stick poker or something.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. And I think 18 probably would have be been harsh. You know, 15 or something is probably fine for it, particularly yeah. these days. But like anything that kind of breaks into the, these things, they start off quite high. Uh, you, you know, you look back at cinema and some of the then-18 films are nothing these days. Yeah. So um, I think it was just... I think it was just all Clifford just giving that PR buzz and stuff because really for an 18 game there should have been no hubbub about it at all
0: okay. No, exactly, about age ratings, you know, we are at the lovely Play Expo, <laughs> I'm, I may well have seen one dad who was sort of absentmindedly scrolling through his smartphone while his... I would assume seven-year-old son was playing Doom 2. Um, <laughs> well, um, see,
1: that's another one. You no, know, it came out as an 18, but now you're looking, go... Is it's it really? Yeah, it's probably all Seven's right. Seven's maybe
0: a bit young. Exactly. I would said 12, maybe. Exactly. And, you know, it's, it's all about judgment yeah. in the end, isn't it? No, it's... A, but... So, okay, so, I mean, so GTA, was all, of, all of that jumped up, controversy yeah. around it as well. Um, yeah, I mean, so, how long were you at DMA? Were you there uh, DMA?
1: Just shy of 10 years, yeah. so from 89 to 99, basically. Uh, so I left oh, a year or so before they all kind of up six and moved. Yeah. Um, I was basically in the kind of R&D department for oh, three or four years, and I just felt like I was becoming part of the furniture at that point. Yeah. Um, I hadn't seen really seen me doing anything. I was doing the 3D engine stuff. Yeah. Um, basically, any hardware that came in kind of came to me to do stuff with. Yeah. And it was fine, but it was just nothing really happening. I just felt it like needed to do something else. Yeah. So um, I up sticks and moved to Russell Kay's company, Visual Sciences. Yeah. They were just about to get a big uh, deal with EA Sports to do F1 games. Yeah. Um, and he was starting to look at PS2 and all that kind of stuff. so yeah. I was kind of interested in doing that, so I went into there as uh, their head of uh, R D and to yeah. play with all these things yeah. um, and that was good fun I had a good couple of years there um, we did two or three F1 games yeah. uh, which was good and got to play with lots of lots of interesting stuff um, did my own PS1 dev kit um, hacked the PS2 um, did a profiler on it and stuff that wasn't in the official kits or anything that was yeah. great fun um, but then EA was getting annoying they just weren't treating visual sciences right and I just couldn't sit with that so um, a friend who'd also gone to, to visual he, um, he was about to set up a mobile phone thing so this was 2001-ish when it was still on the kind of J2ME you know yeah. like it just gone past Snake yeah. into kind of normal games so I thought okay we'll go and do that so I did that for a few years afterwards um, but that was also the time when you know screen sizes and phones they were just all different so you spent all your time just porting the same game to a billion different handsets. Yeah. Uh, it was just... Uh, so it was fun. I mean, we churned through a few games. It was, it was good. Um, did a really nice version of Asteroids and um, like proper Atari ones. It was nice. Yeah. Uh, it was for uh, when 3 Mobile just started. We yeah. did a whole lot of launch titles for them. Yeah. So that, that was good fun. Oh, good. Uh, we also did a Bino time racing game for DC Thompson's. Nice. Um, I didn't do very much, but it was good fun to
0: work on. Exactly. More, more of that Dundee link as well coming in, or a little bit of the Beano. Gotta love that. Yeah. And I I mean, look, I know I've taken up a lot of your time, especially considering you're exhibiting. So, um, I mean, so looking back to you know you've been in for thirty years, which actually, funnily enough, is overlapping almost exactly with our our campaign. I mean, um, what would you say in terms of the industry is the biggest change you've seen, and what is the thing that has stayed most consistent?
1: Hmm. it's a little bit swings and roundabouts. I mean, it started off, obviously, as a bedroom industry.
0: Yeah.
1: It then got very corporate mm-hmm. and huge companies and massive teams, but it's now going back a bit to the bedroom industry. I mean, here with the, the Spectrum Next guys, yeah. they're all doing this in the bedroom. It's all kind of passion stuff. Look at all the indies, they're all doing this in their bedroom. Yeah. Um, so to some extent, you still have the big games, but there's, you know you're getting this indie explosion again of just people getting into doing games because all the tools and stuff are there now. Um, the stuff I was working on before with game making, it was, it was all this kind of democratisation of, of game making, it takes all the hard bits away so that you don't have to be a tech genius to get in and make stuff. You could just you know, throw some stuff on the screen and just worry about the gameplay of things. Yeah. So it's really easy for folk that have you know, good creative ability, but maybe not the, the massive technical ability you used to have to have. Yeah. Um, so I think it's really nice, you, like I say, you started off with bedroom coders, big techs, I got really annoyed when I went all corporate, and huge teams and massive budgets. Um, and while that'll keep going obviously with GTA 5, 6, whatever they do, um, I think this offs- offshoot now of all the indie stuff um, and mobile, Is nice because it's bringing back in much more creativity than all these big folk do now. So um, I think just more power to that. Really, you know, the the more we can have with indie dev and the creative scene, the better, Um, because it's it's what games started out as is. You know, just wacky ideas. Particularly, you look at the UK industry. Some of the old games on spectrums and stuff were just bizarre, but you know, they'd spawn some really cool stuff. I mean, manic miner. Aside from the platforming, you look at the baddies and stuff; they're just, you know, very Monty Python.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and you just wouldn't get that in a big company. It's just they would just laugh you out. So, yeah. I think get you know all about the game, and I think that's what indie dev- devs bring you, rather than this formulaic stuff. It looks very pretty. It might play alright, but it doesn't have that passion and, and just raw gameplay to it.
0: Thank you very much, there, to Mike for agreeing to come onto the podcast, and that is it for our most recent and latest episode of the 30 Years of Play podcast. But fortunately, there are loads more episodes ready to listen to. And if you want to listen to those podcasts, like you've been listening to this one, you've got plenty of options open to you. You can, of course, listen to this podcast on iTunes, on SoundCloud, on Acast and on spotify as well and every time you leave a like or a nice review of the podcast it makes it more likely for other people to discover it so please make sure you do that if you've enjoyed what you've listened to if you want to check out what's going on with the 30 years of play campaign more generally you can go to www.30yearsofplay.uk check out all of the content that's dropping on our site including some of the things like our untold story series where we start to hear some of the more interesting tales behind how people have gotten into the video games industry outside of recording this podcast which is all very exciting and of course you can keep up with us on social media as well i'm at george osborne the 30 years of play campaign is at 30 years of play yuki who've made all of this possible at uk underscore ie and you can also search for the hashtag 30 years of play to see how else other people are getting involved i'd recommend checking it out to see something that's particularly interesting that's brewing from future Lab, and it's well worth taking a gander at anyway that is it for this episode of the show i hope you enjoyed it and we hope to have you along for another one soon